Well, uh, this is a come down, in a way, or is it a come up? I'll let you be the judge. So last week, if you if you recall, if you listened, if you cared, uh, last week I was uh, talking to you from an exotic location um, in Spain, Seville, by a pool, nice and hot. This week, I'm in a... Is it less exotic? I think it's less exotic. I'm in the kitchen in my actual house. Um, it's it's not as hot, although it has been quite warm recently. Um, but it is comfortable. I'm sitting on a, a dusty pink sofa, uh, looking at, uh, at the back doors. I can see uh, the, the, the trees at the end of the garden. I think a willow, a cherry... Uh, some evergreen magnolias sprouting new leaves. One of one of the three evergreen magnolias I planted some years ago is is going great guns. Very pleased to see it uh, in, springing into a new flush of leaf. That's that's the wrong term, but put it aside. Uh, it's it's a more pleasant temperature than it was yesterday. Yesterday in the UK it was it was thirty five or thirty six degrees. I was driving around London topless like some sort of uh either um what what who drives around topless i mean a lot of a lot of the guys doing manual laboring jobs building plastering plumbing and electricity business I've, i see a lot of those guys driving around shirtless um I can imagine being a a rapper, perhaps, or a drug dealer. Uh, Jacked. Maybe I've taken some steroids and and lifted a lot of heavy heavy weights in the gym. Uh, Got a a, a pump on. I can imagine myself driving um, a high-powered German car around, topless. Um... I, however, am, of course, a medieval historian. But that didn't stop me yesterday, after a pleasant lunch, uh, driving from London to my house in Surrey without my shirt on. Actually, I say it was, it was very hot. I say that. I'm, I'm, t- I'm, I'm telling you a, a, a white lie there. I drove half of the way without my shirt on. And then the... I, 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 is it leather? Are the seats of my car made of leather? Are they made of pleather? Whatever the fabric of the seat was, um, its contact with the skin of my back made my back very sweaty. Uh, so sweaty that it, it, it was really sliding around in the seat. Um, and so I had to take my seatbelt off while I sat in traffic around uh, Acton. Uh, and re- and put my cotton t-shirt back on and that solved the problem welcome welcome to episode 19 of <laughs> first draft the, the the audio message which for contractual reasons i'm i'm very soon going to have to definitively stop claiming is a podcast i think uh, more about that and non um this is not a podcast and i would like uh, everyone to 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 recognize that uh Unlike most podcasts, this is this is a guy just sort of rambling on. It's a very different thing to uh, to the podcast. 
The question I pose to subscribers... Hello, subscribers. Hello, you sexy bastards. Uh, thank you for subscribing to History Etc. Hello, followers, non-subscribing followers, people who will get emailed this. Um, thank you for, for your vague interest, which I think is what we can categorise it as. Um, I'm sorry you don't get a chance to contribute to the thread, which is going to have generated most of the discussion, the monologue that this uh, this audio post will um, consist of. But, you know, uh, it's one of the one of the perks of being a subscriber to History Etc. is that you get to, to contribute to uh, every week's um, thread, and uh, there's a chance I'll read out your answer on this. So if that's not an incentive to subscribe... I don't know what is. Actually, I do know what is, because if you subscribe and send me your postal address, I also send you a signed postcard of my massive face. The picture on the postcard uh, is when I had the longest hair that I've had for some time. Uh, the photograph was taken by my great friend Peter Clark. Uh, I, I'd been caught in a rain shower shortly before we, we took the photographs. And, and my hair has fallen about my face in what, in the 1990s, were described as curtains. Uh, soon after that photograph was taken, I had them all cut off because they were they were rancid uh, most of the time. But they don't look too rancid in the photo. Anyway, if you'd like a photograph of my actual face, signed uh, by my actual hand with an actual pen, and posted to your the address of your choice worldwide, uh, subscribe. Why not? Why not? Um, is there anything else I need to say to you before we get going? Yes, there is. Quite soon... We're going to be. We're going to start uh, taking pre-orders, or retailers, selected retailers are going to in the UK are going to start taking pre-orders of my novel, Essex Dogs. I've signed copies of it. You can already pre-order uh, the novel, Essex Dogs, which comes out this September in the UK. You can you can pre-order that guy from your favourite retailer already. No problem with that. But we're very soon. Maybe this this week. I think this coming week will be doing pre-orders for signed editions. There will be two different signed editions. One of them is a strictly limited edition with, like, special kind of printed... Uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the, like, the pages, the edges of the pages are stenciled in the Essex Dogs kind of logo style from the cover. Uh, they'll, be num- they'll be limited to 1,346 copies because the action of the book takes place in the year 1346. Um, they will be all signed and individually numbered, and you'll be able to order them from uh, The Broken Binding, which is a, an independent bookseller. You can't pre-order them at the moment. Well, it's, it's now Saturday the 18th of June at 20 past 2 in the afternoon, but very soon you will be able to pre-order. But this is a, a strictly limited one-printing run of 1,346 copies, and when they're gone, they're gone. I'll be putting all the... I'll be sending a Substack note out about that to subscribers first with the link, and then to to registered email users afterwards, Um, probably about 24 hours afterwards. So if you're a subscriber, you will get the heads up first, Um, and then afterwards I'll put it on all the social media and, and send it out to regular listeners. Uh, if you don't manage to get one of those 1,346 strictly limited numbered signed editions, don't worry, we've got another retailer uh, who uh, later in the week or next week I will, I'll let you know how you can pre-order signed editions which aren't numbered and especially jazzy and cool. Okay? Are we all, are we all cool? 
Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. If you if you like historical fiction set in the Middle Ages, uh, that's Essex Dogs. It's the Hundred Years' War seen through the eyes of the ordinary grunts instead of the, the swanky chivalry knight people. It plays counterpoint with known history. It's got funny swearing in it as well as madcap adventure. But it also has heart. I think it's got heart. I kept... Towards the end, I burst into tears a few times when I was writing it and when I was reading it back to myself. Regular listeners know about that. I, I mean, I would say this, but I think it's all right. I think it's pretty good for a first go. But you be the judge. Anyway, pre-orders, limited edition pre-orders, regular pre-orders, signed pre-orders. It's all, it's all happening. You did you come here to just be sold my book? Yeah, you probably did. Um, but there's there's more to this audio post than that uh, because the 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 thread this week, which subscribers were chuntering away on in in really big numbers, uh, was entitled "What Drives You Crazy?" Question mark open brackets in history comma ideally close brackets, and I I posted this because it, it was I posted it on the fifteenth of June, which is. Uh, the day that we mark the anniversary of the grant of Magna Carta by King John uh, to his rebel barons. Um, it's not that Magna Carta was not signed, Magna Carta was not uh, sealed in a sealing ceremony that you might imagine, although the, the copies that were sent around the country bore a, a royal seal. Um, but it was, it was, it was granted on the 15th of June, and the rebel barons were received back into John's good books, so to speak. They did homage, they renewed their homage to the king. Anyway, I've written a book about Magna Carta, it's called Magna Carta, if you want to read more about it, go buy it. Um, Or steal it from a shop, or uh, or pirate it off the internet and deny me uh, my meagre royalty, I don't care. Actually, I do, don't do those last two things. Um, But... One thing, so people who know me quite well know that I have a, I have a, a, a special irritation for people calling Magna Carta the Magna Carta because it's uh, grammatically inaccurate. Magna Carta is a Latin term. It means the Great Charter. Uh, the definite article is included within the term Magna Carta. So to say the Magna Carta is tautologous. Um... So we shouldn't do it. It, it, it. Unconnected to that, it also annoys me when people say Thomas A. Beckett instead of Thomas Beckett, because his name was not Thomas A. Beckett, it was Thomas Beckett. Anyway, those are, that's me slapping my uh, irritation junk on the table. Um, so my question was, what gets, you, what gets you hot under the collar? What rattles your cage? What grinds your gears? What, um... What... I've, I've literally can't think of the word I want to say, so I'm going to move on. I'm going to just pretend that I said something witty then. Let's start with uh, Jen Tidwell. Good old Jennifer Tidwell, we do love her. Her pet peeve, her pet hate, is people who complain that historical fiction isn't historically accurate. Yeah. Well, we'll come on to that from my point of view in a minute. Uh, Jennifer Tidwell says, piss off, it's entertainment. Also, the word fiction should be a clue. Spicy, we like it. Um, talked about this before. Don't mind talking about it again. I think you're right. I think what's the if you want to write absolutely to the letter accurate 
uh, accounts of things that happened in the past, write a history book. If you want to monkey around with the with the facts or um, fill it, or you know, colour in the gaps between them, or play little tricks and do little literary things and make or you know polish the, the sort of rough edges of the story, that's when you do historical fiction, and they're very different. Uh, writing history is like. Um, Getting, I, I've said this before, but writing history, I think, is like getting into the compost heap with your gloves on and uh, and taking a, a soil sample and trying to describe what went into the compost heap in what order and how and why and to what degree it's rotted down and to what degree the, the different bits of the compost heap are interacting with one another in the compost, or compost, as you might say, in the US. I don't know. Um... Writing historical fiction is like throwing some magic beans on the compost heap and watching them grow. They will, they will, uh, they will grow out of the compost, and the compost is necessary for their growth. But the compost heap and the magic beanstalk that grows out of it are two different things. So yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm with Jennifer Tidwell uh, on the thread. That then sparked a a good old a good old ding dong. Was it a ding dong? No, it was, it was actually a, a grown up discussion. Deb four two seven. Uh, got pretty uptight about um, people reading historical fiction and basing arguments and discussion uh, on the evidence of the fiction. So, so her problem is is not with the writer; it's with the reader. Deb doesn't like it when people people can't sort their delineate their historical fiction from their their, their history in their minds. We non-fiction readers know it's fiction, but does the reader that is reading it know that? That's the infuriating part, says Deb. I'm with you on this one, says Jill. Historical fiction's how I started learning about a topic. Well, yeah, I, see, I always used to say historical fiction is the gateway drug into history. Um, Jill's process is to read fiction, then go read non-fiction on the same topic once the people are sorted in her brain. God help me with the Wars of the Roses, however, she says. I'm currently reading the Con Eagledon series before I read Dan's book. I'm not sure I'll ever get everyone sorted on this topic. Well, yes, there are a lot of people all called similar things. Hmm. Um, oh, excuse me. This must be boring. I've uh, I've just yawned. Uh, Jessica caught... Oh, no, right, sorry. There's a, there's a, a discussion then about... Uh, U.S. politics. I'm going to skip over that. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people slam dunking on various uh, Republican grandees, uh, but this is a non-partisan audio post, and I ain't getting involved in all that uh, today. I might be of a different mind next week or the week after. I do what please, fat boy. As as a guy who works in a film said that he wrote that an email to me once, more than twenty years ago. He replied. I can't remember what his job on the film was. I was a runner on the... It was like a short feature. Working for free. It was the summer after I graduated. It was a lovely little film. And... What was the guy? I can't remember the guy's name now. Nice guy. Super nice guy. Uh, We got on well. I remember that. Uh, But I can't remember his name or what he did. However, I do remember that he uh, replied to me an email i sent him with one line that just said i do what please fat boy and i've been saying that to myself for 20 years just it's just one of my little i I seldom say it out loud which is why i've I've digressed because i've surprised myself by uttering it but 
you know, I might just be having a day and, like, I might make a cup of coffee, just be quite happy that I've got a cup of coffee in my hand. So I might just muster to myself, I do what, please, fat boy, because <laughs> I made a coffee. Isn't that weird? Why am, I, why am I telling you this? I don't know. I think I might be a bit weird. It's only dawning on me, like, like recently. I hadn't thought about this before, but I think I might be a bit weird. If anyone else says, I do what, please, fat boy. I mean, that, not that that's the only marker of weirdness. Anyway, this is, a, this is an irrelevant digression. Omnipresent typos, says Tracy uh, Sevaloni. In everything, people have forgotten how to spell and punctuate. Paid, uh, P-A-Y-E-D, for paid as an example. My pet peeve... So this is, this is just scene setting, by the way, from Tracy. She then drills down. My pet peeve, the word orientated. It's not a word. Orient, orientation, oriented. No taters, please. And then, yeah, then, then, then people... A few people dropped in there saying, actually, orientated is a word, because that's British English, um, and it is in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Uh, but Tracy, yeah, Tracy really stood her ground here. She doesn't believe in the word orientated. I've got to tell you, I think it is a word, Trace, but I... I I don't want to get into a fight with you. I don't want to fall out. I don't want to have tears and recrimination and then, you know, have to take you for an expensive dinner to make up. I don't want to do any of that stuff. So, so as you please, uh, I'll, I'll just toss in my tuppenceworth. Two, hey, what, how, what's the, what's the idiom? I can't remember. My tuppennyworth? No, it's not that. I'll just say what I think. It's not that, but that's what I mean. I'm, I don't like people saying mischievous. That's incorrect, isn't it? The word is mischievous. <sighs> I do what please, fat boy. Right. Uh, totally agree, Christine Ritchie. In fact, bad grammar in general. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Carly Gibson. So these these things have not have these these been really yeah. I suppose the historical fiction gentered was historical fiction thing was sort of history related. Carly Gibson drills in on, on some on a historical topic and says she gets jacked off. That oh, actually that's uh, American. That's an American. Uh, that's American slang for something. I don't mean uh, it's British slang for annoyed, but. Uh, it's American slang for something different. She gets annoyed, uh, Carly this is, when people use the terms English and British interchangeably, oh yeah, or England and the UK. Yeah, people do do that. I once listened to a fellow classmate at university, says Carly, describe Henry VIII as one of the most well-known British monarchs. I replied, I think you mean English, not British. She told me basically the same, that it was basically the same thing. I said, well, I think Scotland, Ireland and Wales would vehemently disagree with you. I mean, Ireland definitely would. Uh, Northern Ireland, we've got to throw in the mix as well, I suppose. Interesting. I mean, to take the example of Henry VIII, one of the most well-known British monarchs, I don't think that's an inaccurate statement, is it? Because 
Henry VIII, if, if, you know, if we're drawing our... Is it a Venn diagram I'm drawing? It's got circles in it. If I'm drawing... Okay, let's say I draw a Venn diagram of... No, that's not right. It's not a Venn diagram, I mean. Look, Henry VIII was a British monarch. He was king of England, at brackets, and Wales, and claimed lordship over Ireland. I think he probably claimed France as well. Um... So, but I mean, there's also a king of, there are kings and queens of Scotland in the 16th century, as we know. So Henry VIII is a British king in the same way that a king of Scotland in the 16th century is a British king. Um, but they're not king of Britain. So I, I, I'm being pedantic here, but I think it's important to, to get this right. I do agree with your central point, Carly, which is that uh, people do... Do you know they, they they yeah? When we say British history, very often what we're talking about is the history of England, uh, and if we're talking about the history of of England and the other nations that today make up the the UK, um, the unit being the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, um, oftentimes we're we're it's really an Anglo-centric view of that, and and the the Celtic fringe that may or may not be an outdated term now is really seen from the eyes of England. Yes, so your central point is is that England and Britain are not the same. I've found recently, people who follow me on social media might know, I, or, or know me in real life might know, I do a lot of Peloton cycling because I'm like a yuppie prick. And um, it on Peloton, which is an American company, the American... So Peloton's mainly American... But they do have a, a studio in Britain, and they have one in Germany. Well, they certainly have German tr- instructors. Do they use the British? They might use the British studio. Anyway, that, put, it, put that aside. They're, they're German users, Australian users, uh, American users, British users. But when they when they're shouting, they're going, you know, big up Peloton family in the US, big up Germany, big up Australia, big up London. Yeah, big up London. London's in, I think, in the minds of several of the Peloton trainers, at least, and probably that there's a broader cross section of uh, of non Brits who might think this way. Britain's really just like London, with a kind of f- like hinterland. Um, is that fair? What's the population of London these days? Greater London population. The UK is roughly 70 million. What's the Greater London packing? Is it 12 million? Oh, 8.9 million. That, well, that was 2018. Let's, let's, let's call it 9 mil today. London's packing a 9 million population uh, out of 70 million in the UK. So that is, you can probably hear me typing, 13%. So 13% of the UK... Uh, live in London. So it's not really fair to say, hey, you know, big up London, when you mean the UK. Uh, I don't know why I'm telling you this and not uh, Peloton. I think it would be more fair to do that to the French. Population of Paris. What's the population of Paris? Is it 14 million? 12 million? Population of Paris. It's got to be more than that. 2.16 million. 
I thought Paris was massively bigger than that. Oh, no, the Ile de France, that was what I was thinking of. The Ile de France is 12.21 million. And the population of France is 67. So, so actually, no, it's, it's, you'd, you'd be just as wrong doing it to the French, really. Yeah. Is this interesting to you? It's actually not interesting to me, and I don't know why I'm talking about it. Uh, back to the topic at hand. Rebecca says, Gargoyles are the carved stone figures that contain a water spout to convey water from the roof and throw it clear from the building. Where, you might ask, is Rebecca going with this? If it doesn't have a water spout, it's actually a grotesque. So pretty much everything people, films, books, TV describe as a gargoyle should really be identified as a grotesque. I'm not sure why this is the hill I've chosen, on, I've chosen to die on, but here we are. That's great stuff. Rebecca, thank you for that, uh, that information. I will, I will start dumping that in other people's heads while I'm doing it right now. That's literally what I'm doing. Uh, like that, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Maguire doesn't like people who still believe Anne Boleyn actually had sex with her brother. Yeah, I mean, we're still... Good old Anne. She's still winding us up, isn't she? Um, Valerie's getting getting narked about uh, homo sapiens and the pluralisation thereof. Um, Valerie's also getting annoyed about Dutch people thinking the Second World War happened from 1940 until 1945. Um, And she says we should swear more. There's not enough swearing. Hmm. I can help you with that. Uh, Heather Weidchik says, doesn't like when people say their great-grandmother was a Cherokee princess when their heritage can be traced back to the 14th century and is solely European. Does that happen a lot? I don't, I've never encountered anyone claim Cherokee princess. Uh, but my experience is not, is not by any means uh, universal. It's as if, this is Heather, it's as, it's as though they want to feel exotic without the racism. I'd like to feel exotic without being racist. Is that, is that so much to ask? <laughs> um, but maybe there's... there's I, I, I also, however, would not claim to be a Cherokee princess. Um, as a mixed Cree and white person, says Heather, that one winds me up fast. Also, when people assume that the ancients were stupid based solely on the fact they didn't invent computers. Or did they? We could do a whole History Channel series on this. Uh, ancient computers... And we, what we'd do, if we were going to make ancient computers for the History Channel, is cobble together some old hokey bullshit uh, about, like, a stone with a weird scratch on it that you found on a fucking island in the South Atlantic and say, is this... So the key with the, this kind of programming is the, uh, is the leading question, which, by design cannot be definitively answered. If you master the leading question that by design cannot be definitively answered, you will have a stellar career in, uh, in top-line bullshit history TV programming. Because all you have to do is, is pick up your stone with a scratch down the middle of it, or, or on the left or right, or top or bottom, a series of scratches ideally, maybe one of which looks like a number, one of which looks like Alan Turing's face. Uh, all you've got to do is say... Could this be, is this possibly, right, and questions like that, uh, a computer invented by 
Joseph of Arimathea, hidden in the Holy Grail, uh, revealed only to a select group of Illuminati throughout the ages, uh, culminating in Leonardo da Vinci, obviously. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And then you get a load of, uh, a load of experts who just want their, like, $150 to turn up and do an hour's interview. Um, to sit there and say, and, and talk tangentially on the subject, right? And say things like, you, well, Joseph Arathea may or may not have been a real guy, right? And then it doesn't matter what the content is so long as it's like a square John in a suit, uh, just sort of dribbling on around the subject. Like, as long as you just, like, like do super hard cuts on it and... Uh, and, and massively like confusing jump cuts between the interview and uh hard zooms in on your stupid stone which if you squint and take acid might look like ada lovelace's toe right and and then you have like a portentous soundtrack and loads of drone shots of like the island where you claim your dumbass stone that if you go to Amsterdam tomorrow and eat all the edibles in a shop and then, like, turn the lights dim, it might possibly spell out the word Steve Jobs uh, as as you're screaming in your, in your deranged, drug-induced coma, right? You take that stone, yeah, and, and you'd, like, do loads of... You, do, you put it in situ on the island, you'd get some drone shots, of, and then you cobble it all together and you've got your... You're like super high octane, really excited, uh, maybe celebrity voiceover person going, could this be? Historians don't really know. And you say a lot of speculative horseshit. Yeah. Why am I talking about this? Literally have no idea. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Uh, oh, yeah, right, because Heather Weidrich said, when people assume the ancients were stupid based solely on the fact they didn't invent computers. Yeah, you could, like, get your, one of your square johns to say that. That would almost be, like, a line in their interview. We shouldn't assume the ancients were stupid solely based on the fact they didn't invent computers. I don't know why the square john has that sort of constipated, terrible American impression accent. Um, but they do. You have to get them to say that. Right, and then that you can you can sort of fit that into a thin uh, a thin sheet of reasoning and extrapolate from the fact that as Heather rightly says, we shouldn't assume the ancients were stupid based on the fact they didn't invent computers. You could actually twist that perfectly reasonable historical observation uh, so hard were you making this uh, this hypothetical. And it's not just the History Channel, by the way. I'm not just getting a History Channel. Um, it's it's all that particular genre of TV making. You could actually, if you if you were really good, you could twist that statement so that it made it sound like it's so unreasonable to think that the ancients were stupid based solely on the fact they didn't invent computers, that actually they must have invented computers. You could create a false logical uh, progression from one point to the other. If you're a, a, a TV lizard person. But you're not. You're a nice person listening to uh, to my not-podcast audio thing. 
So this is, uh, this is, is irrelevant to you. Cheryl doesn't like the fact that people put stickers on their license plates in the wrong place. That's okay. Uh, Michelle Marmelo Pedro hates price tags on book covers, especially dead on the book reviews and summary. That ticks me off, she says. Uh, we've got to have a price tag somewhere. Typically, though, the, the recommended retail price is printed on the inside front flap or back flap. So, hmm. Mark Akers is, is so a, yeah, a price tag probably indicates a discount, in which case I'm totally with you. Mark Akers says, I think you're probably with me on this one, Dan. I mean, well, yeah, no, let's see. But I'm going to say Ricardians and the Richard Third Society with their agenda of reframing Richard's quite a nice guy, actually. I mean, I think, honestly, they, that's not... I think we might be caricaturing the Ricardians now. They don't, they don't totally say that, although... But I take your point. They, they, are, they are quite into Richard. I'm, I, I, I don't mind the Ricardians. We used to have beef, I think, or they had beef... I don't think we've got it anymore. Eileen Croft is back on the old uh, back on the old spelling and grammar tip. When you see a sign with an incorrect apostrophe and a plural spelling, e.g. potato apostrophe s, tomato apostrophe s, and so on, says Eileen Croft, she doesn't like that. I wish I had a felt tip in my bag. Well, I mean, I'm not a genie, Eileen. I can't. I can't magically put a felt tip in your bag, but they do sell them in shops, and you do, by the sound of things, have a bag. All you've got to do is buy a felt tip and put it in your bag, and then all you need is the balls to start amending other people's signs. Uh, I don't think I'd do that, because typically you see those signs uh, on market stalls, and I like market stalls, and I like to shop at market stalls, and there's a market in the, in the high street of the town in which I live, and occasionally I pass good-natured pleasantries with the, 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 the guys who work on, on the veg stall. Um, but those motherfuckers are hard, okay? They seem hard to me. <laughs> and if I change their signs, I think soon we'd be in a fist fight. And it's, it's, I wouldn't like to call the outcome of that fist fight I I I wouldn't be. Would I? Mm, I I don't advocate violence, and I think usually the best thing to do if it looks like you're about to be in a fist fight is is make that fist fight not happen and walk away. If I had to have a fist fight with somebody, I'd give myself fifty fifty. If it's you know a random person in the street, or maybe better, I think I'm probably better than average at having a fist fight. However, if you're offering me the chance to have a fist fight with uh, the stallholder of a fruit market, I'm going to turn you down because I think my odds are, sh- are longer than that, than evens in that particular scenario. And I also think I'm going to get beaten by more than one market stallholder. Yeah. Don't do it, is what I'm saying. <sighs> Hmm. Ben Neville doesn't like uh, the pluralizing of supermarket names. It's not Tesco's, it's Tesco. It's not Lidl's, it's Lidl, and so on. Uh, Americans, Tesco and Lidl are names, uh, and Canadians and other non-Brits, uh, Tesco and Lidl are names of supermarkets in this country. Uh, oh, Dom Mack, 
uh, wants to return to the, uh, the the subject of fistfights. Don Mack gets irritated by people who claim Dan Jones can't beat Dan Snow in a bare-knuckle fight. Well, firstly, I'm not having a fight with, uh, with Snow, because I like the guy, and we get on. Uh, a, secondly, I'm not having a fistfight with Dan, because he's bigger than me, and I'm not Although lots of people, when they first meet me, are astonished that I'm taller than, like, five foot two. Um, I go slightly under six three as it goes. Uh, and as of yesterday, 94 kilos. Just down on my peak weight. My peak weight's been 98 and a half. But since I got COVID at the turn of the year, I, I shed a bit of weight. Um, it was involuntary, but I've kept it off. Anyway... Uh, I, it's, Snow's bigger than me. The guy's got to go six six, and he rode for Oxford University. And whilst that doesn't necessarily translate into uh, street fighting skills with a Z, I still think I don't want to. I don't want to fight the guy, particularly bare knuckle. Um, it's going to be ugly, and so I, that fight's not. That's I'm, I'm putting it out there. This is official. We're never we're never going to have a bare knuckle fight. Uh, okay. Um. Hmm. Yes. W. J. Small. I think that's Wiley Small. Gets super annoyed when people say the Salem witches were burned at the stake. They weren't. Uh, apparently. Um, hmm. Hmm. Uh, Jim Randall Bodman doesn't like the word impactful. Um, Sandra Davey doesn't like anyone who sides with Mary, Queen of Scots, over Elizabeth I. Uh, or, or, well, there's a list. Sandra Davy doesn't like that, doesn't like anyone who calls the Tower of London Ravens crows, doesn't like <laughs> people who think that seeing a picture of Stonehenge is the same as visiting Stonehenge. Yes, I've seen someone say this. That reminds me of, I think I, to- I told you this recently. I went, yes, I have. Didn't I tell you this in, la- didn't I tell you this last week that I once went to the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas and was standing in the queue behind a lady who said, I mean, why would you need to go to Venice? It's all right here. Um, related to our, <laughs> our previous Square John contributing to our, our putative um, uh, documentary. The, yeah, it's not the same. These two things are different. <laughs> it's different to go to the Venetian Hotel in Vegas. Not unpleasant. I can remember having a, a, a quite a nice night in Vegas that night. My girlfriend at the time... And I went to a nightclub. Um, she got too drunk. We went back to a hotel room. She passed out face down on the bed. I made sure that her airways were clear and that she wasn't going to, you know, be in any danger. So she could sleep off the drink. And I ordered myself an anchovy pizza. I can remember this very vividly. And I ate the anchovy pizza. I ate the whole thing. But there was too many anchovies on it for my liking, and I woke up with a raging thirst. Um, 
it's not the same. That's that experience, and indeed, I think any experience of the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas is not the same as going to Venice. Nor, I agree, Sandra Davy, is seeing a picture of Stonehenge the same as going to Stonehenge. Uh, next on Sandra Davy's list is just non-history. <laughs> That's such a broad category. Uh, people who make a noise when they eat. People who bang the plate or bowl with a cutlery when they're eating. And Jacob Rees-Mogg, who uh, Brits will be familiar with as uh, a, a cabinet minister in the current uh, government. And um, non-Brits will be uh, completely nonplussed by that name. Um, hmm. Connell Lassie doesn't like uh, stuff to do with the Vikings that's inaccurate. I'm summarising here. If you, if you want to have a look at this thread, subscribe and, and go check it out. Because people are really, really going to town on their, their, their pet peeves. Heather Allen doesn't like the Oxfordians. The, the assertion that Shakespeare could not possibly write his plays and sonnets because he didn't have an aristocratic education, therefore his work is that of Edward de Vere, Earl of Oxford, is classist and absurd, says Heather Allen. The arguments reek of conspiracy theory. I know plenty of brilliant writers who didn't graduate high school and learned their craft their own way. Was Shakespeare a savvy propagandist? Absolutely. Doesn't mean he had to be an aristocrat. Yeah, man. Preach. Um... Deborah, right, well, here we, we sort of, there's a sort of returning to one of the themes now. Deborah says, it pisses me off when someone asks me if the pyramids in Egypt, uh, Chichen Itza and uh, Machu Picchu were built by aliens. In fact, there are people who really believe it because they watched on TV ancient aliens. Yeah, well, you wait till ancient, <laughs> ancient computers gets going, love. That, you know, you, you could, it's a whole new world of problems. Every stone, <laughs> people turning over, eating their edibles, and oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> my stone is Steve Jobs. <laughs> oh, what are we talking about? Uh, Shane Bat, big up Shane Bat. I hate the use of the verb get, it's the laziest verb in the English language. There's always a better, more descriptive. And a word that shows more action. I also hate writers who end a sentence with a preposition. This may sound old school and grumpy, but it feels like many writers today are more interested in being creative than writing grammatically correct prose. Both are possible. I said it before and I'll say it again. Preach. Um, my mother, Shane, and other listeners, was, uh, was of a similar mindset. Is, she does, I, my mother's still very much with us. Um, I only use the past tense there because and I haven't heard her bang on about got get and getting for for years now but that was that was a major that was a major thing for her I wasn't really allowed to say get or got or write it when I was growing up I mean I wasn't beaten or punished for it or mocked or humiliated I don't think unless I've suppressed those things repressed them whatever um, I hope no one's pet peeve is uh, is people who mix up suppressed and repressed. Um, but yeah, that, that was off menu, really, for me as a kid. I've got a more specific dislike, Shane and others, of the word get. Um, when, if, don't use it in a restaurant, for God's sake. If I take any of you out for lunch or dinner, 
or any other meal, breakfast perhaps, I implore you not to read the menu and when the, when the waiter comes over, say, uh, can I get the prawn cocktail? It's nothing to do with the prawn cocktail. It's, it's can I get as a formulation for making a request of a server in a restaurant or even a barista in a, in a, in a coffee house... Uh, can I get a mocha and a punch in the face from Mike Tyson for for speaking like an oaf? Can I get? For God's sake, don't say it. People, all I, people, I've noticed people starting to say this deliberately, not just as a sort of idle formulation, because I think it's an American sort of thing that people have seen on the television British people have started doing this yeah can I get the granola and uh and a good hard tasering so bad I shit my pants because that's what I deserve for saying can I get in a restaurant (laughs) my god I didn't realize how much that annoyed me until right now yeah yeah can can I get the uh, the cheese platter? And <laughs> if you just go in the kitchen and bring the the vat of boiling oil that you're frying the fries in, and throw it directly <laughs> all over me, please, because that's the least of the punishments I deserve for this butchery of this fine language we call English, and my crass use of really quite a rude phrase can i get that yeah yes you can sir absolutely i'll um i'll be back with the chip pan shortly um yeah can i also no i think we've done that joke uh being called jack when i'm a jacqueline says the chronicler my pronouns are she her for clarification for ffs Lucy Lewis, history-wise, calling Lady Jane Grey Lady rather than Queen Jane. Hmm. Uh, again, with the apostrophes, says Lucy, Lucy Lewis is, uh, is, is, is not a fan of... Well, get yourself a felt tip and learn to bare knuckle box. That's all I can say. Uh, and don't expect me to back you up, uh, boxing-wise. Uh, this was Paul Woolgar says this wasn't isn't history specific, but I'm unreasonably annoyed by the use of hung to describe someone who's put to death by hanging. People are hanged, not hung. All right, we'll tell that to Max Creeps, hung, drawn, and quartered. I think we're going to have some problems. As hanged is only ever used to refer to a sentence of death, it shouldn't be hard to remember. If it gets off soapbox, says Paul Woolgar. Um, yeah, back to my mum, as it were. Uh, th- she was big on this stuff as well. She used to say, meat's hung, people are hanged. That's how I remembered it. Um, mm. Yeah, CJ Johnson, that stupid meme about the Pope supposedly calling for the culling of cats. Uh, Yeah. I think, didn't I write something about this a while ago? I can't remember. Um... Oh, God, Steve Batty. The sword hand theory for staircases in castles. Oh, my God. 
Oh my God, this really winds me up too. So here's what this means. Oh God, I think I think my eyes are going to bleed. Um, the sword hand theory. Oh God, it's so annoying. Yeah, it's so annoying. I can't even explain what it is in order to debunk it. Oh my God, save me. Um, uh, this this is really 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 annoying. Okay, let me compose myself. The sword hand theory is, so you go to a castle and there'll be like some, some, maybe some stone spiral staircases and they might go up clockwise, right? And someone, sooner or later, you hang around castles, you, someone's going to say, hey, you know why, the, you know why the, the, the stone staircase spirals up clockwise, right? You know why, right? Right, you know? Surely you know. And what they're hoping is you don't know. They're being deceitful. They're being disingenuous because what they want to tell you is this. They'll say, oh, right. Well, let me tell you. Um, it's because uh, if, you if you know, people are right-handed mainly, okay? So your right hand is your sword hand. Uh, so it's much more difficult to fight with a sword going up a clockwise staircase because your sword hand would be closer to, the, like, the, the central bit of the, of the spiral, Right. So the advantage would be for the person who was fighting coming down the stairs because their sword hand, they would have the protection of the, center, of the central bit of the spiral but, but be in a better position to thrust with their sword. And you, and, and you the, the, the person just going about your business, not wanting false information implanted in your ear or brain... You would go like, huh? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, now you put it like that. That I guess that in like that's physics. No, that's maybe physics, but it's also horseshit. If you've got to the stage in the castle where people are fighting in the staircases, the castle's fallen. The castle has fallen at that point. Like this is this is bad shit if that's happened. If it's beyond saving, so there'd be no point whatsoever in doing this thing because the idea that anyone would spend their time fighting like a, like a, a successful defense of the castle from the staircases within it is preposterous and completely misapprehends the purpose and nature of a castle. I think we. I think I, I stayed relatively calm there. Um, J- Ashley C is on her brother-in-law's case. My brother-in-law misspelled medieval while visiting a castle in France. It still sets my teeth on edge. Idiot! <laughs> oh dear, families, huh? Um, God, oh. Lordy, there's so much. I, I, don't, I don't know if I can get through any... Okay. Uh, a lot of grammar stuff. An anecdote by Angela Bliss about Paul McCartney and Michael Bublé. I'll let you get on the thread yourselves and read that. Um, uh, Gabby Jones. Oh, hold on. What's happened here? Oh, 
Oh, I think... Have I... No, I'm still recording. I, I thought I'd accidentally stopped the recording. And you may well now be wishing that I had. Uh, but my phone was, was going... But you know what? I've, I've actually... I'm, I think I'm done here. That's quite an abrupt ending, isn't it? I should... I, I think I've got more craft in my locker than this. But, oh God, have I pressed the off button? No, I haven't. Oh, well, I can't be bothered to do any more. <laughs> it's not uh, typically uh, how I would hope to end a session like this. A bull session. Should we call it a bull session? Is that what we should call this? Welcome to First Draft, your weekly bull session. That might get me around uh, my uh, (laughs) incoming prohibition on doing podcasts. Yeah, this is a bull session. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. Welcome to First Draft. Welcome to episode 19 of First Draft. Your your semi-weekly when I can get my shit together and actually put it out on Friday, bull session. (laughs) I like that. Well, something good has come of this anyway. Um, Thank you for listening. I mean, you've got to ask yourself why you're wasting your time doing this, haven't you? Did you really get anything out of this? Really and truly? Has this improved anything about your day? I, I hope the answer's yes, but I fear it's no. But I've enjoyed myself, actually. Uh, And really, that is all that matters. (laughs) My personal, specifically my personal uh, contentment is the metric by which the entire world should be judged and run. All right, that's the end. Bye.